Chapter Twenty One of the Wonderful Adventures of Fra the Phoenician by Edwin Lester Arnold. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Now look you here, sir, the old philosopher began, taking me by a tassel on my satin doublet and working himself up until his eyes shone with pleasure as he unfolded his mad visions to me. Look you here, sir. This bare and dingy dungeon that you rightly frown at is a cell more pregnant with ingenuity than ever was the forge of the lame smith of Lemnos, Vulcan. Vulcan never had such teeming fancies as I have harboured in my head for twenty years. Vulcan never coaxed into being such a lovely monster as I have hidden yonder. I tell you, young man, gasped the old fellow, perspiring with enthusiasm, prometheus was a tawdry charlatan his service to mankind compared with what i will be he gave us fire crude rough unruly fire unstable dangerous a bare naked gift spoilt even in the giving by incompleteness but i sir i have tamed what the bold son of clymene only touched ay by the blessed gods i think i have tamed it fire and water i have wed them at yon black altar deadly foes though some do call them i have made them work together the one with the other oh sir such servants were never yet enlisted by our kind since the great day of cyclops and to think those feeble shaking hands whose poor sinews stand from the wasted flesh like ivy strands about a winter tree have done it and this poor head has thought it persistent and at last successful through bitter months of toil and anguish disappointment but sir i said gently as the old man checked his incoherent speech for breath this monster sir this lovely monster what is it ah i was forgetting you did not know look then and though you had been unfamous all your other life this moment of precedent knowledge above your fellows shall make you for ever famous and the old man like a devotee walking to a shrine like a lover with a hushed breath and brightly kindling eye stealing to his mistress's hiding-place led me up to a cavernous recess near the forge and there lay hands upon a rent and tattered drapery of rough sailcloth stained and old and making a gesture of silence pulled it back in the dim weird enchantment of that place i had been prepared for anything it was a nightly fashion of the times to be credulous and that black cobweb den that mad philosopher so eloquently raving and all the late circumstance of my arrival fitted me to look for wonders i had followed him across the grimy floor pitted with grey pools of furnace water through the reek and twining strands of smoke that filled that nether hall and lastly when he laid a finger to his lip and so reverent and awful drew back that ancient tattered screen i frowned a little stepping back a pace and drew my ready sword six inches from its scabbard and watched expectant to see some hideous horrid living form chained there some foul offspring of darkness and accursed ingenuity some hateful spawn of wizard art and black mother night some squat foul misshapen caliban some loathsome thing i scarce knew what but strong and sullen and monstrous for certain and instead the screen ran rattling back and there before me in a neat swept space 
and on a platform of oaken planks glossy in new forged metal shiny with untarnished filings gleaming in the pride of burnished brass and rivets high bulby complicated a maze of pistons and levers and wheels was a great machine somehow as i saw that ponderous monster so full of cunning although so lifeless a tremor of wondering appreciation ran through my mind that soulless body fascinated me with a prophetic fear and awe which at another time and in another place i should have laughed at i put back my sword smiling to think it had been so nearly drawn but yet stood expectant half wondering half hoping i knew not what and gazing raptly on that mighty iron carcass perched there like some black incubus almost fancying all the love and fear and hope that had gone to fashion its steel limbs or iron sinews might indeed have filled it with a soul that should as i looked become articulate and manifest beneath my eyes half hoping in my ignorance that indeed the quintessence of human labour here consummate might have got on all that plastic dull material some wondrous firstling spirit of a new estate some link between the worlds of substance and of shadow and if it so fascinated me that old man to whom it owed its being was even more enthralled he stood before the shrine with locked hands and bent head apostrophizing the silent work o oh, child of infinitely painful conception he muttered surely surely you cannot disappoint me now near twenty years have i given to you twenty years of toil and sweat and ungrudging hope long hot summers have i worked upon you and dank dull winters making and unmaking building and taking down again contriving hoping despairing living with you day by day and dreaming of you through nights of fitful slumber surely dear heir of all my hopes the reward is at hand the consummation comes see he cried how perfect it is here in this great round cylinder is room for fire and water the fire lies all along in that gully trench that you can note here through this open trap and those curling pipes take the hot flame up through that void that will be filled with the other element now when water boils the vapour that comes off from the top is choleric and fiery past conception this has been known for long and john homersham tried to utilise it by letting the vapour on the spread digits of a wheel farinelli of angouleme suffered it to escape behind his engine both ways so wasteful that no mortal furnace could keep up power sufficient to be of useful service but i have bettered these and many others nothing is wasted here the hot gases are stored and stocked as they rise above the boiling liquid until they are as strong as the blustering sun of astreus and aurora and then by turning one single tap i suffer them to escape down yonder iron way there to fall upon the head of that piston that with a mighty send gives before them and spins the great wheel above and comes back on the impetus and takes another buffet from the labouring vapour and back it goes again now this way and now that twirling with fiery zeal those notched wheels above and working all those bars and rods and pistons not one thing of all this complicated structure but has its purpose not one rivet in yonder thousands but means a month of patient toilsome thought and labour moreover 
because it is so strong and heavy i have put the whole upon that iron carriage which took me a year to forge and those solid back wheels are locked with the gear above and from the axle of that front wheel two chains run up and turn upon a cylinder so that my sweet one can move at such pace as yet i cannot even think of and guide himself in brief is born and consummate then presently he turned from babbling to his child and speaking louder with frenzied gestures the while he strode up and down before it went wild upon the wondrous things it should do it will not fail i know it my head is fairly mazed when i forecast all that here with this begins as possible it shall run sir he cried turning rapturously to me and fly and walk and haul and pull and hew wood and draw water and be a giant stronger than a thousand men and a craftsman in a hundred crafts of such subtlety and gentleness and cunning as no other master craftsman ever was down into ages not formed in the void womb of the future this knowledge i have mastered shall extend widening as it goes and men shall no longer strive or suffer there stands the patient beast on whose broad back another age shall put all its burdens there is the true winged horse of some other time that shall mock the slow patter of our laggard feet and knit together the most distant corners of the world within its giant stride oh i can see a happy age when base material labour shall be over and men shall lie about and take their fill of restfulness as they have not done since the gates of eden were shut upon their ancient father's back i do see down the long perspectives of the future such as yon achieving all things by both sea and shore ploughing their fields for unborn peoples and drawing nets carrying fetching far and near swift patient indomitable ah and winging glorious argosies mighty vessels such as no man dares dream of now vast noble bodies inspirited each with such a soul as lies impatient yonder and those shall plough the green sea waves in scorn of storm and weather pouring the wealth of far cathay and ind into our ready lap making those things happy necessaries which now none but some few may dare to hope for bringing the spice the persian picked this morning to our doors to-morrow bringing the grape and olive unwithered on their stems bringing the fair eastern stuff still wet from out their divats jove old man that moves me i was a merchant once your words do stir my blood down to the most stagnant corner of my veins bringing pearls from oman still speckled with the green sea-dew upon them and sapphires from rugged ural mines still smelling of their native mother earth bringing in swift tireless keels novaya zemblian furs and costly feathered trophies from the south bringing by Afra's hordes of ivory and benin stores of blood-red gold bringing gems warm from tepid sands of arakan and sandalwood from sea-girt nicobar ah pouring the yellow-scented corn of every fertile flat from manfalu to ancient abbasia pouring the tartars millet and the hindus rice into our hungry western mouths making those rich who were once poor and those noble who were only rich benefiting both great and little benefiting both near and far and i shall have done this i poor master andrew faulkner a man so shabby and so seeming mean 
no one of worth or quality would walk at the same side of the road with him so spoke that good fanatic and as he stopped there came a gentle tap upon the door and a fair face in the sunlight and there was mistress elizabeth saying with a merry laugh father the cloth is laid and the meal is spread and old marjorie bids me add that if to-day's roast is spoiled by waiting as the last one was she'll never cook capon for thee again and coming down the maid laid a hand of gentle insistence upon her father's sleeve and led him sighing and often looking back up the green stone steps i following close behind we crossed the sunny courtyard entering on the farther side the other rambling buttress-wing of that ancient pile thence we went by clean white flagstoned passages and open oaken doorways to what was once the long servants dining-hall at the near end of the middle table of well-scrubbed boards so thick and heavy they might have come from the side of some great ship a clean white slip-cloth was laid with high-backed chairs one at the head for adam faulkner and two on either side for me and her and lower down again were put below the great oaken salt-cellar to other places by one of these stood dame marjorie fair elizabeth's old nurse an ancient dame in black velvet cap and spotless ruff and linen with a comely honest old country face above them wrinkled and coloured like a rosy pippin that has mellowed through the winter on a kitchen cornice shelf such was dame marjorie and while she curtsied low and with folded hands i bowed as one of my quality might bow in respect to her ancient faithfulness at the other chair stood their spanish steward black emmanuel barsena yes and as you may by this time have guessed that steward was in flesh and blood none other but the midnight visitor who had disturbed my rest the night before i could not doubt it he wore the same clothes his swarthy sullen face was only a little more lifelike now in the daylight and if more evidence were wanting one finger of his left hand that hand that had held the bloody handkerchief was done up with cobwebs and linen threads i knew him on the instant and stopped and stared to see my vagrant shadow so prosaically standing there at his dinner-place picking his yellow teeth and sniffing the ready roast like a hungry dog and when he saw me he too started for i also had been dreadful to him i was the exact counterpart of that amber gallant that had strode out upon his moonlit heels and scared him with a shout where no doubt he fancied no shouters dwelt and now here we were face to face guests at the same table surely it was strange enough to make us stare but over and above the prejudice of our evening meeting i already distrusted and disliked emmanuel marsena why it was i do not know but so much is certain if one may love no less surely one may hate at first sight and as our eyes met hatred was surely born in his while mine as like as not told through their steady stare of aversion and dislike he was a sullen yellow fellow lean and tall with black crafty eyes set near together a thin nose shaped like a vulture's beak a small peaked beard and black hair closely cropped a crafty cunning cruel ungenerous-looking fellow who had somehow it afterwards turned out grown rich as his master's fortunes failed he had come into faulkner's service when a boy had flourished while he flourished and learnt a hundred shifts of cruelty and pride from the gay company who once were proud to call his master comrade and now 
like the black fungus that he was had swelled with conceit and avarice past all conscionable proportions well we exchanged grim salutations and sat and the meal commenced but all the while we ate and talked i could not help turning to that crafty steward and each time i did so i found his keen restless black eyes wandering fugitive about among us now he would glance at me over his porringer and then a half unconscious scowl dropped down over those dark cordovian brows then perhaps it was the old man he looked at and a scarce hid smile of contempt played about the corners of that southern's mouth to hear his master babble or answer our talk at random lastly my sleek iberian would set his glance on sweet country bess as she sat at her father's side and then there burnt under his yellow skin such a flush of passion such a shine of sickly love and aspiration as needed no interpreting and made me frown small as my stake was in that game i saw was playing as black as inky night but what did it matter to me who picked that english blossom why should she not lie on that mean spanish bosom for ever if she would twas less than nothing to me who would so soon pass on to other ventures and yet no man was ever born who was not jealous and remembering how we had met how sweet she was and simple what native courtesy gilded her country manners what music there was in her voice and how black that villain looked beside her i in spite of myself resented the first knowledge of the love he bore as keenly as though i had myself a right to her pious sanctimonious emmanuel marcena he stood up saying his grace for meat long after all of us were seated and crossed his doublet a score of times ere he fell on the viands like a hungry pike and he was cruel too a little thing may show how big things go he caught a fly while we waited between two courses and thinking himself unwatched held it a moment nicely between his lean long fingers then drawing a straight fine pin from his sleeve slowly thrust it through the body of that buzzing thing he stuck the pin up before him by his pewter mug and watched with lowering pleasure his victim gyrate that amused him much and when the creature's pain was reduced to numbness he neatly tore one prismatic wing from off its shoulder and smiled a sour smile to watch how that awoke it then presently the other wing was wrenched palpitating from the damp and quivering socket and the victim spun around under the iron stake that pierced its body and all this under cover of his dinner-mug ingenious light-fingered emmanuel marcena such was the steward of that curious household over against him sat the excellent old country dame whose mind wandered no further than to speculate upon the price of eggs next market-day or how her bleaching linen fared above was the wise mad scholar bent and visionary and by him ruddy in her country beauty that wild hedgerows of his and as i looked from one to other and thought of what i was and had been all seemed strange unreal fantastic and i could only wait with dull patience for what fortune might have next in store it was a pleasant peaceful place that manor hall when we had finished our midday meal and the servitors had gone to their duties master faulkner said a walk in the green fields might do him good he would go out and take the country air it was a wise resolve and he made a show of carrying it through 
but he had not crossed the courtyard towards the sunny meadows when he got a sniff of his own smouldering furnace fires that was too much for him the scholar's rustic resolution melted and glancing fugitively behind we saw him presently steal away towards his cellar and then drop down the stairs and bar the door and soon the curling smoke and dancing sparks told that wondrous thing of his was growing once again thus i and the maid were left alone and for a little space we stood silent by the diamond latticed window scarce knowing what to say i looking down upon that virgin bosom so smoothly heaving under its veil of country lawn she thinking i know not what but pulling a leaf or two to pieces from her window vine and so we stood for a time until the lady broke the silence by asking if i would wish to see the house and gardens with her it was a good suggestion and a comely guide so we set out at once she led me first back through her garden again naming every flower and bush by country names as we went along and this brought us to the empty house-front which we entered she took me from room to room and dusty corridor to corridor chatting and laughing all the way talking of great kinsmen and noble fickle guests who once had called her father friend all with such a light contented heart it sounded more like fairy story than stern material fact then that tripping guide showed me the one door i had not found which led through into the rearward house here again i told her of how i had hunted in vain for such a passage and she laughed until those ancient corridors resounded to her glee the door admitted to another region which we entered and soon elizabeth had led on down a dusty flight of twilight wooden stairs until a portal studded with iron barred our way at this putting a finger to her mouth in mysterious manner the damsel asked if i dared enter to which my answer was that with sword in hand and her to watch i would not hesitate to prize the gates of hell so we pulled the heavy sullen bolts and the door turned slowly on its hinges there before us was displayed a long dusty corridor lit by high narrow cobwebbed lattice windows down one side and dim with moss and stain of wind and weather from end to end of that soundless vestibule were stacked and piled and hung such mighty stores of various lumber rare curious dreadful as never surely were brought together before it was andrew faulkner's museum room the place where he put by all the strange shreds of life and death he collected when the scholar's fervour was upon him and now as his sweet daughter laid one finger on my arm and softly bid me listen directly down below and under us we heard him hammering at his forge oh sir began that maid whispering in my ear and sweeping her expressive arm round in the direction of those mounds and shelves did ever child have such a father this is the one room that is forbidden me and it is the one room of our hundreds that i take a most fearful pleasure in i do wrong to show it and indeed i had not brought you here but that something tells me you are good comrade true and silent both in great and little therefore step lightly and speak small there is nothing in all the world that stirs my father's collar but this to hear a vagrant foot overhead among his treasures softly therefore as any midnight thieves we trod the dust-carpeted floor and now here now there the damsel led me 
now it was at one oriel recess where stood a black oak table and open chess piled with vellum books all clasped and bound with golden iron that we paused and i opened some of those great tomes and read in norman latin or old frankish french the misty record of those things long ago that once had been so new to me i spelt out how the monkish scribe was stumbling through a passage of that diary that i had seen caesar write saw him repeat as visionary and incredible in quaint and crabbed cloister scrawl the story of the saxon coming and how king harold died i turned to another book a little newer and read mid gorgeous unctuals the story of that remote fight above crecy when good king edward with a scanty band of liegemen was matched against two hundred thousand french about the ville of crecy and by the grace of god withstood them upon an august day and i could have read on and on without stop or pause down those musty memory-rousing pages but for the gentle interrupter at my side who laughed to see me so engrossed and shut the covers too little knowing of the thoughts that i was thinking and took me on again then she would halt at a pile of splendid stuffs half heaped upon the floor half nailed against the wall the hangings of courtly rooms and thrones and as her sympathetic female fingers spread out the folds of all those ruined webs i read again upon them in tarnished golden filigree in silken stitching and patient cunning embroidery more stories of old kings and queens i once was comrade to on again to piles and racks of weapons of every age and time all these i knew and poised the javelin some saxon hand had borne in war and shook like a dry reed the long norman spear and whirled a rusty pirate scimitar above my head until it hummed again an old forgotten tune of blood and lust and pillage and with a stifled shriek the frightened girl cowered from me oh a very curious treasure-house indeed and here the scholar had laid up skins and furs of animals and there horns and hoofs and talons here grim melancholy great birds were standing as though in life and crumbling as they waited with neglect and age there in a twilight corner glimmered the green glassy eyes of an old thebian crocodile and there the shining ivory jaws of monstrous fishes with warty hides of toads and shrivelled forms of small beasts dried in the kiln of long silent ages and now black shrunken and ghastly on the walls were pendants enough simples and electrices to stock twenty witches dens enough mandrake hellebore blue monkshood purple tinted nightshade to unpeople half a shire and along by them were withered twigs and leaves would banish every kind of room samples of wondrous shrubs and roots all neatly docketed would cure a wife of scolding or a war-horse of a sprain would cure an adder's bite or by the same physic mend a broken limb ah and bring you certain luck in peace and war or light all out of the same virtue the fires of love in icy virgin bosoms in that quaint anteroom dimly illumined by its cobwebbed windows were astrolabes and hemispheres from the cabin poops of sunken merchantmen charts whereon great beasts shared with pictured savages whole continents of land and dolphins and whales did sport where seas ran out into unknown vagueness there were models of harmless things of foreign art and commerce 
and cruel iron jaws and wheels with bloody spikes or beaks for breaking bones or tearing flesh and teaching the ways of fair civility to heretics that old man had got together twenty images of baal from as many lands and half a hundred bits of diverse saints here tied with the strand of the rope that hanged him was the skin of a dead felon and near was the true shirt of a martyr whom the church had canonized a thousand years before in some way too the scholar had possessed him of a pharaoh still swaddled with his memphian robes and there he was propped up against the wall that kingly ash with mouth locked tight whose lightest whisper once had made or marred in every court or camp from dusty ababda to green euphrates and brows set rigid whose frown had once cost twenty thousand lives made twenty thousand wives to widows and eyes shut fast that seemed to dream of shadowy empery of golden afternoons in golden ages a most ancient a most curious fellow and i stared hard at him feeling wondrous neighbourly but i cannot tell all there was in that strange place from end to end it was stocked with learned lumber from end to end my sweet guide led me pointing whispering and shuddering all on tiptoe and in silence and then ere i was nearly satisfied or had sampled one quarter of that dusty treasure-hall she led me through a little wicket down twenty stairs and so once more into the fresh open air there sir she said now have i laid bare my father's riches to you is it not a wonderful corridor oh what a full place the world must be if one man can gather so much strange of it i told her that indeed it was and had been full right back into the illimitable of those hopes and fancies to which all yonder shreds did hint of and thus talking i of infinite experience watching the sweet wonder and vague speculation dawning in those unruffled child eyes of hers we sauntered about the gardens and pleasant paths and spent a sunny afternoon in her ambient fields End of chapter 21